Grow up. I'm talking to you. That's not a fun thing to hear, is it? And I bet you've heard this at some point in your lifetime. Maybe it was in a playful way, like you just pranked your sibling. (sighs) Grow up, come on. Or maybe you just cracked the dad joke of a lifetime. And your family collectively rolled their eyes together and told you to grow up. I can't wait to have kids so I have more of an audience for my dad jokes. I get enough eye rolls from Candace and, uh, you know, I get to do kids ministry and youth ministry here. So I get to tell my jokes to kids and teenagers and adults when I preach in settings like this. Uh, But I just want more people to hear my dad jokes and to tell me to grow up. But sometimes those words can cut deep. They can be humiliating. They can make you feel small and inadequate and unworthy because it reveals that your maturity and your age just don't seem to be in proper alignment. They expect more maturity from you. Let's flash back to 18-year-old Josh. Okay, I had just graduated from high school, and I was kind of running from that whole Bible college thing, so I went to the fire academy. Okay, I have a picture to prove it. We're going to throw up on the screen right quick. You'll notice me. I'm the one that's smiling like it's a uh, fifth grade picture day. I'm on the right. I got a big number three on my head there. Okay, I had a blast at fire school. And Sunday night through Friday night each week, I was in a small dorm with one of my friends that I grew up with located at the Gypstick. Gypstick was the Georgia Public Safety Training Center. And about a week into training, I was feeling great. I was making a lot of friends, and I felt like I was really good at the whole fire thing. That morning, our captain, Captain Davis, he walked in the the, the room that morning in silence. And he was always a very intense guy. You didn't want to cross him. But we knew something was different that morning. Okay, there was just this eeriness in the air, and we were all on our toes, and we were uneasy. And he pulled out two pieces of paper, and he began to pass them around the room. The pictures got to me last, and I immediately recognized the subject of those photos. It was my dorm room. Slobby, dirty, looked like a tornado had just meandered through there casually. We took turns looking at my bed with sheets and blankets all over the place, and my dirty laundry pile, and garbage overflowing from the trash can. And to say that Captain Davis, for the next 20 minutes, laid into my roommate and I would be a total understatement. He said, gentlemen, it's time to grow up. Mommy and daddy aren't here to pick up after you. If you can't be a responsible responsible adult, leave now. It's time to grow up. My face was red hot and my heart was pounding. I can remember the way that it felt. It was humiliating. But we needed it. We needed to be pushed. Our maturity was lacking and our childishness was exposed in this moment. And it changed the way we behaved. It changed our mindsets. It changed the trajectory of the coming months as we trained. And we grew up a lot. This morning we're going to be in the book of Hebrews chapter 5. Where the author essentially is shouting through this letter for the body of Christ to grow up. Now, I'm going to let you know now, this is kind of a confrontational passage of Scripture. 
But the author here isn't just uh, saying these things to the body of Christ to slam people and make them feel bad or anything like that. And that's definitely why I'm not preaching it this morning. Okay, those of you who know me well know I am not a confrontational person. And I don't want to make you feel bad. But the Bible teaches that we are desperately sinful. And the Bible is God's holy word. So there's some contradictions between you and I and God. And the Bible confronts those things. And there was a severe problem regarding the maturity of believers in the early church. They simply weren't growing. The church was filled with proclaimed Christ followers who were remaining in a state of spiritual infancy. Instead of growing and maturing and moving forward in their faith to disciple others, they were stuck as spiritual babies. They weren't equipped and they weren't preparing to be real disciples of Christ. Now let's go ahead and read. We're in Hebrews chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 11. About this we have much to say. And it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Now, this passage addresses a problem that was in the early church, and it's a problem that remains in the church today. Spiritual immaturity. The early church was supposed to be spreading the gospel like wildfire and expanding to the ends of the world. But their apathy and their lukewarm hearts ushered in this culture of weak Christianity with no real commitment to discipleship. And the author was confronting this problem. He was in shock at the lack of growth in their faith. And this was a big deal. And like I said, it remains a big deal in the church today. Because becoming a follower of Jesus should change everything about our lives. Our priorities and our desires, they change quickly when we commit to follow Christ. But that wasn't evident in the lives of these early believers. And I'd venture to say it's not evident in the lives of everyone listening today either. So over the next few minutes, I want to share with you three key truths from this passage that address this problem of spiritual maturity. Number one, genuine belief in the gospel produces passion that leads to sanctification, not apathy that leads to stagnancy. Verse 11 says that they had a problem. They had become dull of hearing. Other versions of the Bible simply say they no longer tried to understand God's word. A wave of apathy and laziness had crashed over these believers. And their eyes became blind and their ears became deaf to the beautiful mystery of the gospel. They accepted Christ and they professed him to be their savior. But what now? It was old news to them. They had become unmoved by the most moving and compelling message in the universe. The word of God no longer gripped them. It just wasn't captivating enough for them. They lost that burning edge they once had for God. They lost their hunger. They became content 
with remaining in a state of spiritual infancy. And we deal with the same problem in the church today. Our churches are filled with starved, unnourished Christians. Because after that initial jolt that you felt when you uh, finally committed to Christ, you lost your appetite for a life that glorified God. Dullness of hearing. Lukewarm Christianity. I like the way Matt Chandler calls it. He calls it weak sauce Christianity with no real commitment to Christ. These are not proper responses to God's grace in the gospel. We need to repent of this apathetic sleepwalking in our faith. Paul says in Ephesians 2.4 that we were made alive in Christ. I've heard it said before that Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He uh, came to bring dead people to life. We were once dead, dry bones, but if you have trusted in Jesus as your Savior, He gives you new life, so leave those bones behind and come alive. So why do we claim Christ and continue to lie down in the darkness? Wake up! Grow up! The proper posture of a believer saved by grace is running forward towards Christ with a cross on your back. Genuine belief in the gospel, a real encounter with grace, produces an appetite to dive deeper and dive deeper. Stagnant, standstill faith makes sense if what you believe isn't very compelling. So maybe you need to get back to the root of the Christian faith here. Ask yourself the question in which all of this hinges upon. Did Jesus Christ resurrect from the grave defeating death and sin once and for all. Do you believe that this morning? Now, I know the Christian answer. Of course, that's, you know, that's what we talk about all the time in church. Really ask yourself deep down, do you believe that Jesus is resurrected? In 1 Corinthians 15, 14, Paul says that if Christ has not been raised from the dead, all of this is in vain. It's pointless. If Jesus never resurrected, then none of this matters. If Jesus was resurrected, though, then nothing else matters. This changes everything. And if you're battling this dullness of hearing or you've become bored in your faith, you may want to check in on what you really believe happened. Because Jesus can't be a minor part of your life. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. This problem, dullness of hearing, creates devastating consequences in our church. It leaves the body of Christ immature and underdeveloped. This moves us to our second point. Moving from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity requires feasting on God's Word. Failing to constantly feed ourselves with the substance of Scripture stunts our growth as believers leaving Christians in states of spiritual infancy as spiritual babies who've never really grown up. If you told me that you were a spiritually mature Christian and I asked you for proof, what would you tell me? See, a lot of Christians would talk about the titles or the position that they have held in church for however many years. And a lot of Christians would uh, talk about how long they've been a Christian, right? Right? 
But some Christians would refer to the fact that they've been saved and going to church for the last 30 to 40 years. But the truth is this. Spiritual maturity doesn't come from a title, and it definitely doesn't come from an age. You could be the oldest professing Christian and be a spiritual baby that needs rocked and bottle-fed by a pastor each week in order for you to hear God's word. Spiritual growth isn't measured in chronological years. Okay, I can grow every year physically and mentally and become more mature and remain a spiritual baby if I'm not maturing in my faith by seeking more of God, submersing myself in Scripture, and saturating myself in gospel truth. See, the truth is the churches we go to are often filled with people who uh, look and sound like mature adults, but they really are spiritual infants, uninterested in training, maturing, nurturing their faith in a way that challenges them to grow up. I'm going to show you guys a picture real quick. It's very different than my uh, awesome-looking firefighter picture. Let's get this up on the screen. Now, let me know how uncomfortable this picture makes you. Okay, we had a picture of me in a uh, firefighter outfit before. It's really cool. Now you have me, uh, my face glued on to a baby. How uncomfortable does that make you? Okay, yeah, it's unnatural. It's shocking and it's disturbing. But this is a picture of what Christians everywhere look like who aren't growing in their faith. Just because you look old and you can call yourself a Christian of 20 to 30 years or however long, it doesn't mean you've ever really graduated from the crib to the real playing field of discipleship. Now, I've spent time with teenagers over the last few years who are more mature and solid in their faith than a lot of older Christians I've known in my lifetime. You can add up the years you've been attending a church, but you've hardly matured at all. Because the gospel hasn't really uh, set into your heart. It hasn't really stirred a new hunger in you. And the Bible says here that these spiritual babies were built from this lazy Christianity. They still were in need of milk, soft foods, things that are easy to digest because they're not growing and maturing in their faith. Now, let me be clear about something. If you're a new believer and you're young in your faith, that is awesome. You may need to start with milk, the, the basics of the Christian faith, learning to articulate the gospel, figuring out the basics of scripture and theology and who God is and how he relates to us. But none of us should just stay there without moving forward. Eventually, we should crave more and more of God's word. We should dive deeper into the gospel. We should begin to uh, feast as we dive deeper and deeper and deeper into God's word. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13, 11, When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Change, growth, sanctification, a change in appetite and new desires in your life. These are things that happen to us over time as believers. I got a couple of hypothetical scenarios for you, real quick, okay? Imagine I went to eat at uh, the Marazzi's house, okay, with Emily and Jared and their whole wonderful family. And little Maggie walked in. She's not even a year old. She walked up to the table and she grabs a 20 ounce steak and just starts devouring it. 
Okay, I'd think I was having a strange dream if this happened because she's not even a year old, right? She needs uh, soft foods and liquids because she's not prepared to digest solid food and meat and things with more substance. In the same way, if you're a new believer, it's okay if you don't understand everything about the Bible. There are some things you're just not ready to digest, and that's fine. But as you grow and you grow and you intentionally seek more and more of God, your appetite will grow. You'll begin to crave more and digest deeper biblical truth and dive even deeper into the gospel. On the flip side, here's one more hypothetical for you. I've just invited you to go out to dinner with Candace and I. We load up and we go to Texas Roadhouse. Okay, because I love Texas Roadhouse. I love their rolls. So that's the first thing I thought of. But when the waiter arrives, everybody orders their food. Steaks, potatoes. Uh, maybe you ordered the surf and turf or something like that. And the waiter gets to me and I ask for a nice warm bottle of milk. And when it arrives to the table, I ask if the waiter doesn't mind feeding it to me. This would be even more disturbing and shocking and super weird, right? It's probably weirder than that baby picture I showed you. But this is what Christians all around the world do every single week. Instead of chewing on and digesting Scripture on their own, on Sunday morning we fly to the nest, we open our beaks, and we beg to be fed by pastors because you're starved from God's Word all week. We're so content in the church, so many believers with being bottle-fed one day a week. And then you go home and you starve yourself, not feeding yourself God's word. We need to feast on God's word corporately. It's great that we come to church as a church body. But we cannot neglect personal reading of scripture, studying scripture, meditation time with God, prayer, time alone with God. Your time in a church service every week is a great time to grow and mature in your faith. But it cannot be the only time. So many believers think that deep down their only responsibility is to show up to church on Sundays and to be present within the church body. Maybe have a cup of coffee with somebody and uh, make sure you sign your kids into to kids' church and all that. They believe that it's the job of the pastors or the elders or somebody else to be spiritual for them. You know, I work in a secular work setting, and I'm not called to ministry, so spiritual maturity just really isn't a priority for me. That is so twisted. Okay, that is not Bible. That's not Scripture. The job of a pastor isn't to be your source of spirituality or your one connection to God. If you are a believer, then the Holy Spirit dwells within you. You have access to the Father just as much as anyone else. So the thought that some Christians feel the need to just piggyback off of their pastors, it's laughable. There are proclaimed Christians who have spent years calling themselves followers of Christ, but they've never opened up the word to feed themselves. I heard uh, something I heard a lot of times growing up. I probably even said it a couple of times because it's something I heard all the time, but people would say, ah, you know, I think I'm going to go to a different church, or, you know, I'm feeling kind of bleh about church because I'm just not feeling fed right now. 
right? I just don't feel fed by this pastor or this speaker or this and this and this. I'm just not feeling fed. Well, guess what? If you don't feel fed by someone else, maybe it's time to pick up your own fork, your own knife, and take off the bib. You have access to God's Word right here. We all do. You have access to the Holy Spirit. We can connect with God in a moment. Why would you only rely on somebody else to connect you to God? That's not how it works, and that's not biblical. Moving from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity takes work. It takes work. It takes effort. Growing in your faith doesn't just happen passively. Becoming a more mature believer doesn't happen overnight. Okay, it takes work. Think about your physical fitness. In order to become physically fit and mature, you've got to feed your body with the proper fuel. You've got to exercise and do things repetitively over and over and over again to build strong and mature muscles. It's no different with your spiritual maturity. You've got to work those muscles, spend time seeking more of God, pursuing Him, feasting on His goodness and who He is. The author of Hebrews saw this problem wrecking the Christian church, hindering growth and discipleship. Because if you are a Jesus follower and your spiritual diet is the same today as it was a year ago, and a year before that, then something's wrong. We can't be complacent with drinking milk from a bottle our entire Christian lives. It's time to grow up. At some point, we've got to move from the milk to the meat, from baby food to uh, more substance. And let me be clear, I'm not talking about, uh, when I talk about moving on to meat and increasing your appetite, this doesn't mean you need to work to become a Bible scholar, okay? doesn't mean you need to learn Hebrew or be able to explain the entire book of Revelation to somebody else, okay? This is about taking steps to dive deeper into the gospel, to understand the gospel more clearly and let it change your life. J.D. Greer says the gospel message isn't the diving board that launches us into the pool of Christianity. It's the pool itself. The goal of Christianity isn't to go wider and further necessarily, but deeper into the pool of the gospel. If you get to a place where you're convinced that your spiritual progress comes from accumulating knowledge or attending a certain amount of services or knocking things off that checklist, you have missed the point. Spiritual progress is growing in a deeper understanding of your desperate need for grace and how endless God's grace is. Spiritual maturity won't necessarily mean you can recite a whole book of the Bible or answer hard questions about apologetics and things like that. It's becoming more and more aware of the beauty of the gospel that this entire book is pointing towards with big flashing arrows. The gospel is the milk where we begin as infants. But as we grow in knowledge and understanding, we don't just leave it behind. But we do keep pushing forward to know more, to dive deeper, to learn Scripture so we can discern between good and evil and become sanctified servants of Christ. Spiritual maturity is so important. 
And the reason we seek to become spiritually, spiritually mature, it's important. We desire to become spiritually mature because God's grace in the gospel demands an active response. The gospel should push you to move, not stay still, not be lazy in your faith. This changes everything. It's time to grow up. It's time to move from milk to meat, to grow out of spiritual infancy into maturity in Christ. Our third and final point, discipleship will never be present in a believer who's unstirred to grow in Christ. We can't invest in discipling others to become mature in Christ when we're content with our spiritual infancy, with stagnancy, with sitting still. Verse 12 said uh, it reveals one of the expectations that's implied for one who chooses to follow Jesus. Believers should find themselves teaching others. That's what the writer says is it's time for some of you to be teaching other people. That's where you ought to be, but you're stuck and you're not moving forward. So discipleship is not really existent here. And you may think that uh, this doesn't apply to you because you're not really the teacher type, right? Or you're shy and that's just your personality, okay? But you don't get a free pass when it comes to discipleship. This is the calling for all Christians. We should constantly be reaching unbelievers with the gospel, uh, in uh, guiding and shepherding and investing in believers who are less mature than us. Jesus' great commission was for all of us to make disciples. The great commission is a call to true discipleship. And true discipleship means growing in your faith, becoming sanctified and more holy and Christ-like by bathing in God's word falling more in love with the gospel, and then teaching and guiding others to follow the lead and do that as well. One of the marks of spiritual maturity is a devotion to discipleship. And some of you can remember the date that you accepted the call to follow Jesus Christ, but you can't remember a single person that you've helped along the same journey. This is a problem. It's time to grow up if you can't identify one person in your life right now that you're discipling, investing in, pouring into, start praying today that God would show you who that person is. We're called to disciple one another. I would bet that the majority of the mature Christians watching this right now could tell me about one or two people in your life who really went the extra mile to disciple you to teach you what does it look like to follow Christ, to invest in your life and help push you along this journey of following Jesus. I can think of a couple people right off the top of my head who really took discipleship seriously. They pulled me along. They pushed me, even when I didn't want to be pushed. There were people who saw that on my own, I was more likely to fizzle out and make excuses not to follow Jesus, not to take up my cross. They invested in me. They took time to show me the way. There are some young, immature believers in your church community who are desperate for a discipleship relationship with you. It'll prepare them to disciple others and to make more followers of Christ. And our walks with Christ are personal, 
and intimate between ourselves and Jesus, but they're also meant to be shared and walk together in community. How will the church expand to the ends of the earth if we're too shy to tell, too timid to teach, and too complacent to truly disciple people into a mature relationship with Jesus Christ? The Great Commission is not a suggestion, okay? It's a command. Go and make disciples. That means pulling people along and teaching them and helping them grow up. Stop treating it like it's a suggestion. There are no exceptions. You have been called to make disciples. The band's going to come up and lead us in worship again. I want us to recap for us to understand together as a church family this morning why it's so important for us to grow up. And I told you before, this is such a confrontational passage of Scripture. It might have cut and it might have gotten some wounds this morning. But the Bible, where we contradict with it, it confronts us. It calls us to be more holy to be more Christ-like. And if this hurt this morning, you might need to uh, pray and ask God for forgiveness for an apathetic walk with Christ, for failing to move forward, for failing to pour into and disciple somebody else. Our three truths this morning. Genuine belief in the gospel. It produces passion that leads to sanctification, not apathy that leads to stagnancy. Moving from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity requires feasting on God's word. And discipleship will never be present in a believer who's unstirred themselves to grow in Jesus Christ. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning, all who are watching. To spend some time meditating on this, praying to God, seeing where you land with this whole spiritual maturity thing this morning. As we said earlier, the, the problem for many who have yet to grow up in their faith is that they've never really believed the gospel in the first place. They don't really, in their hearts, believe that Jesus came to this earth lived the life that you couldn't live, a perfect life. And he died the death that you deserve, taking all of your sin upon himself. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that he became our sin. He took it on and became it so that we could become his righteousness. The gospel is Jesus in my place. He went to a cross, took on all of my sin, and gave me his righteousness. That means when God sees me, if I am in Christ, he sees uh, the righteousness of his perfect son. And that's something we could never obtain on our own. If you've ever tried to be perfectly good and righteous, you know it's not uh, worth trying because we're so desperately sinful and wicked and we're always going to fail. We could never attain God's favor by our own good works, but Christ came and did it for you. And if you're listening this morning and you've never made that commitment to put your faith and trust in Jesus, 
You've never received that free gift of salvation. I pray that you'd listen with ears that are hungry for this great news of the gospel. You can put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ this morning. You can say, I know this is real and I know this is life altering and this is going to change me, but it's so worth it because God is that good. Jesus is that real and his resurrection is that compelling. You can accept Christ this morning. You can pray to God to uh, and repent of your sins and put all of your trust in him. Maybe with a prayer that sounds like this. And the words aren't important, but you can pray, pray something like this. God, I know that I'm a sinner. God, I know because of my sin, I deserve hell. But I believe you sent your son to die on a cross for me. I'm putting my faith and my trust in you. I'm done relying on myself. I'm surrendering it all to you, Christ. And if you pray something like that today, if you decided to make a decision to put your faith and trust in Jesus, we'd love to talk to you about that. That's something we want to celebrate with you as a church family. Reach out to Pastor Phil and I. Uh, email, text, call. Find some way to get in touch with us. We'd love to talk to you about that decision. As we continue to worship, I pray that you would just Hold tight to these words. Be honest with yourself about where you're at with spiritual maturity. Worship as God leads you this morning.